doing that uh, song. Uh, for those of you who don't recognize that song, it's a David Crowder song. And uh, when I asked Daniel if he would sing it, uh, I realized that sometimes, if you know David Crowder, his songs uh, sound really good when he sings them. But then if you try to sing it yourself or you hear somebody else sing a David Crowder song, it just doesn't sound the same. But Daniel did really good. On the flip side, sometimes when you listen to a David Crowder song, it's like listening to a Bob Dylan song. And it's hard to actually catch the words that he's saying or all the words that he was saying. So I'd said to Daniel, if you could sing it, that's great. If not, I was going to put a video on, but I'd make sure I had the lyrics going across the screen. Uh, but this worked out perfect uh, this morning. And, and I don't know if you really grasped the significance of those lyrics. There's a very specific reason I want Daniel to sing that song. Uh, Just the first few lines of the song. When clouds veil the sun and disaster comes, O my soul, O my soul, when waters rise and hope takes flight, O my soul, ever faithful, ever true, you I know, you never let go. And and on and on. You never let go. You never let go. You never let go. And the question I want to begin with this morning is how sure are you about the lyrics of that song? How secure do you feel knowing that God has got a hold of you? You know, if you've been watching the news, I don't, I don't know how you could avoid it, but just watching the events of the last couple of weeks unfold in Afghanistan and, and the ripple effect in other parts of the world and, and down south, uh, it's hard not to agree that we live in a very insecure world. And, I, and I'm sure if I asked, you know, Show of hands, who, who agrees that we live in an insecure word, world? I'm pretty sure all of us will put our hands up. Because there's lots about this world that makes us feel insecure. There's a lot about this world that just is insecure. World affairs, political strife, the whole pandemic, which is a topic in and of itself. Crime, employment, finances, relationships. And because of this sense of insecurity in the world that we live in, even in our little part of the world that we live in, it affects the way that we live our life. I mean, there are places in the world we're told not to go. There's places in this world we don't want to go. With COVID, there are protocols and and measures and, and, and rules and regulations, even in the church, that dictate what we can do and what we can't do. It affects the way that we live our life. We, we constantly are looking over our shoulder. We, we save for a rainy day. Some of us keep our resume handy. We, we put boundaries and, and guards up uh, in our relationships. And even with all those security measures, I don't think any of us really feels totally secure and that those measures are foolproof, and they're not going to fail. Uh, To me, it's kind of like trusting uh, a a piece of fraying rope that you're trying to secure a load down with. You're just kind of hoping that it's going to hold secure, but you wouldn't be surprised if it failed. And giving this sense of insecurity that fills the people of this world, 
I think we as Christians feel sad for those who aren't Christians. Because they're living life under their own power, their own resources. They don't have that solid hope and and foundation that we have. And I I think part of the sadness that we have for those who don't follow God is the fact that we know from Scripture that we are always to feel secure. You know, Linda read from John 10, where Jesus says, nothing can snatch my children from my Father's hands. A popular doxology that we read at the end of of our services, uh, Jude 24, it says, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with, without great joy. We, we read from in scripture and we sing songs about the fact that Christ lives within us. He is our advocate. He's our intercessor. He is our, he is our payment for the penalty of sin. He is, he is our defender. And so you'd imagine with all of these truths and assurances from Scripture that none of us who are followers of Jesus would feel insecure despite the insecurity of the world that we live in. And yet many Christians are plagued with insecurity. Even some of us. We question how sure we really are of the words of the song that Daniel just sang. We question at times during tough circumstances whether God really does have a hold of us. We wonder sometimes if we've, we've fallen off the narrow path. We struggle with anxiety and confusion and, and fear and we're, and we're not certain We often talk about the Christian life as a journey or as a pilgrimage. Used to be a saying around Auburn a number of years ago is we talk about the Christian life being uh, a walk along the line of faith. And I think for a lot of us as Christians, that Christian walk is like walking on a, a high wire with no safety net, with a crowd just waiting us, watching us, just waiting for us to fall. Or, or for some of us, it's like walking on a railroad track where our footing is wobbly at best and there's bystanders with rocks throwing them at us because they just want to see us fall. You see, for a lot of Christians and I think for some of us at different times in our life, we are as insecure in our faith and in our walk with God and in the care and protection and love that God is to provide us, we are as insecure about those things as we are about everything else in this world that is so insecure. And this leads us to our text for this morning. And if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Psalm 125. It's a short, short song. And it's a song about security and where we can find it. And it's written from the trenches of an insecure world. Most scholars believe that this song was written just after the exile. And so the children of God are back in their homeland, but they're not really free. They're still under foreign control. 
And so it's a really unstable world that they find themselves in. They don't know who is going to be in charge tomorrow. They don't know what new tax is going to be created. They don't know what trouble the next governing uh, body is going to cause for them. And yet it's in the midst of this struggle that the songwriter, the, the writer of this psalm, urges us to remember where our security is actually found and invites us to sing this song with him regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Let me read Psalm 125 to you. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be on Israel. And psalmist wastes no time in identifying and describing um, the sort of security that's available for God's people. Read verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. And to understand the psalm, you have to understand that this was written to be sung as the children of God would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover, or to celebrate another festival, to worship. And and as they were making their hike upwards to Jerusalem, they would come to the point where they could actually see Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would be surrounded by the mountains. Now, ancient city life was dangerous as a rule. There was always someone outside the city, thugs, opposing armies, just waiting to attack at the first sign of weakness. And so you will read in history how these ancient cities built walls, uh, gates, moats around their cities to offer security and protection. So Jerusalem had a huge advantage. It was surrounded by mountains. It was a safe place compared to a lot of other cities in its day. And so as the pilgrims are, are making their way to Jerusalem and as the psalmist is, is reflecting on coming into sight of Jerusalem, surrounded by the mountains, he's captivated by this picture. And what he's saying to us, this is what it's like for those who put their trust in God. Just like Jerusalem is surrounded by the mountains, those who put their trust in God are surrounded by God. As the hills are to Jerusalem, so is God to those who've put their trust in him. God surrounds those. And another word for surround here is God embraces those who put their trust in him. Those who put their trust in God find themselves in the forever embrace of a loving and holy and perfect and all-powerful God. Now, I was reading that it's quite common for rescuers when digging through the rubble of an earthquake or a building that's burned down or fallen down to find the bodies of those who've perished 
and to come across where two bodies are embraced together. Perhaps a parent and a child or a husband and a wife or, or two good friends and they've embraced each other perhaps because they're both afraid, because it's, they know what this is it, perhaps to offer protection. And so often they find these people uh, embraced. And we know what it's like as parents. We know what it's like uh, in a relationship with, with our spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend. When someone's afraid or someone's hurting or someone's upset, what's one of the first things we do? We hug them. We embrace them. And as the psalmist looks at the hills surrounding Jerusalem, he's reminded that's the love and the care and the protection of God for those who love him. We find ourselves in God's embrace. And so you would think with, with this assurance, with this beautiful word picture, that would be all that the people of the psalm writer's day would need. And yet the fact that Psalm 125 is recorded and the fact that it was sung over and over and over again and the fact that we have it today tells me that the people of God then and the people of God today need the reminder that our security, our protection, the one who loves and cares and will protect us is none other than God himself. We need that reminder. We all realize that we live in a world that is so insecure, and I think we all would agree that there's no one or nothing in this world that can offer us the kind of foolproof security that we need. I was so reminded of that reality at the beginning of COVID, and I think I shared this uh, a while ago when I was speaking. COVID hit. All these unknowns were thrown at us. Those who had diabetes, high blood pressure, and who were a little bit overweight were classified as vulnerable. Uh Uh-oh. Lauren's in the UK where COVID was rampant. Finally got a plane out of the UK came home and she quarantined upstairs and I'm vulnerable. I quarantined downstairs while she was there for two weeks. There's no vaccine. Just reports of people getting sick and people get dying and all this unknowns and I was shaken. I was so afraid. I was consumed with the fear of COVID. And I don't know what it is in your life that's knocked you off your socks and caused you to be insecure, to to question the care and the concern and the protection and the love of God. For me, it was COVID. And in the midst of this insecurity, the psalm writer invites us to join the song. To be reminded where our security comes from. And to sing along, regardless, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Eugene Peterson, uh, he was the author of the uh, paraphrased Bible, The Message. Uh, He's just passed away recently. A a professor from Regent College uh, writing on this psalm says, Singing Psalm 125 is one way Christians have to develop confidence and banish insecurity. 
And this psalm makes its mark not by naively whistling when life is dark, but by honestly facing the typical insecurities that beset us and putting them in their place. Let me just read that one more time. Singing Psalm 125 is one way Christians have to develop confidence and banish insecurity. And this psalm makes its mark not by naively whistling when life is dark, but by honestly facing the typical insecurities that beset us and putting them in their place. And what I want to do with the rest of the sermon this morning is I just want to look at a couple of of the typical areas of insecurity that rob us of our song, that cause us to question how true the words of that David Crowder song really are. Does God really got a hold of me? These typical insecurities that cause us to lack confidence and to lose hope and trust in God. I want to identify a couple of them. And then I want to help us to put them into proper perspective by considering what we know to be true that will help us deal with those typical insecurities. And and, and these insecurities are dealt with in Psalm 125, some directly and and some by reading between the lines. And and I've I've narrowed it down to three. And uh, the first one, I think, is probably the most typical. And that's the insecurity of doubt that's caused by life's troubling circumstances. So the insecurity of doubt. When I was in high school, one of my football coaches was Coach Dudar. And we used to say that Coach Dudar was a mountain of a man, because he was. He was probably about 6'4", 6'5", close to 300 pounds, not an ounce of fat on him. Uh, He had played university football, he had played semi-pro football, he was coaching university football and coaching our high school team. And... One of the drills that we would do is that two of us defensive linemen would go up against Coach Dudar, and he wouldn't even be wearing equipment. And he would just stand there crouched like this, and the the drill was for us to try to move him. And typically two of us really struggled to move him back. I saw during games where the play was making its way to the sideline, where there was going to be a tackle, and us players would move out of the way. The coaches would move out of the way, but not Coach Dudar. He would just stand, always stood like this on the sideline, and I actually have seen three or four people involved in a tackle come crashing through the sidelines and like hitting a brick wall, hit Coach Dudar, and they just fell over. I've seen Coach Dudar take two players from opposing teams who are fighting each other. And you see it in the movies. You don't really believe it's true. And took two fully dressed, large football players, one, two, and picked them up and pulled them apart. Coach Dudar was a mountain of a man. And you know what the psalmist says? No matter how small and weak you might be physically, you too can be a mountain. How? By putting your trust in God. Look at uh, verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Those who put their trust in the Lord are like a mountain. They're confident in their trust. 
They're steadfast in their faith. They're unmovable. And you know, there's times I feel like that. In my walk with the Lord, there is nothing that's going to shake or move me. But then there's times where circumstances turn sour and I think someone could blow and knock me over. You see, the insecurity of doubt causes us to question what kind of security we really have in God. I think a lot of us as, as, as Christians are like thermometers when it comes to our sense of security. We go up and down like the weather. And yet, Psalm one, or verse 1 says, we can't be shaken. And yet, I think many of us can relate to the roller coaster ride. Feel secure, I don't feel secure. I feel secure, I don't feel secure. And how do we get off that roller coaster ride? What's the answer? Where's the key? And the psalmist gives it to us in verse 1. And the key is found in the word trust. And one of my favorites, actually it is my favorite psalm, is Psalm 13. Preached on it many times. I turn to it many times in my life. When I find myself in situations that cause me to question a whole lot of things. In Psalm 13, David finds himself in a horrible situation. We don't, we're not given details of what the situation actually is. But he cries out to God, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death and my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. What a desperate description of David's situation. Whatever is happening to him, God's not answering him. God's not showing his favor to him. God's not responding. That's how David feels. Then we come to verse 5. Nothing's answered. We don't, there's no verse 4b that says, but then God answered my prayer and my sickness got better or my strife with whatever went away. No, there is no resolution to whatever it is that's causing him this grief. But in verse 5, it totally throws us off track. But I trust in your unfailing love. And in Psalm 125, the psalmist says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. And so the key is in this word trust and and what the word trust really means. And the word trust literally means to extend oneself fully, to totally let go of everything. And there's a common way I've seen trust illustrated. And Jack, this is your cue to come on up. I asked Jack if he would help me this morning. And and perhaps you've seen this illustration of trust before. 
And what I'm going to ask Jack to do is to trust me and ask Jack if he trusts me. And I'm going to stand behind him and he's going to look there. He's going to close his eyes, just put his arms like that. And in a moment, I'm going to ask him just to fall back. And he's going to trust that I'm going to catch him. He's going to extend himself fully. He's going to let everything go and trust me. Now, now understand this. Jack has got really good reasons to feel insecure right now. He's up in front of an audience. He knows that he's getting to be quite a big boy. This is my littlest. And uh, he knows his dad's getting old and probably not as strong as he used to be. And probably most importantly, Jack knows that if this was beside our pool, I would do the same thing and I'd let him fall right into the water. Now, I've promised him that I will go along with this properly. But I'm going to ask Jack, do you trust me? Jack? <laughs> he, did say, he did say yes. Then Jack, fall back. Oh, you're a big lug. Okay. Right, simple. Despite all that Jack probably could have listed as to why he probably shouldn't fall back and think that I was going to catch him. He put his trust. He made a decision. An intellectual decision to fall back, believing that I was going to catch him. And that's what we see in Psalm 13. David had all sorts of reason not to trust God from a feeling point of view, from the, the description of what was going on, how he felt the circumstances were, were affecting his life. But David had a choice. He could follow his feelings, the ups and downs. He could, he could believe his doubts, that they were true. He could try to figure things out himself and leave God out of the picture. Or, despite his circumstances, he could bring to mind everything that he knew to be true about God. All that God's done in the past for him and his people. All the things that God has promised. The, the will that God has revealed for, the, for, for David. And he could decide to trust. Even when it maybe didn't make a whole lot of sense emotionally. David chooses to trust we see it in Habakkuk as well. I'm not going to turn to that. We've, 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 I think Paul Volk's preached on and I've preached on it recently. The same thing with, with Habakkuk, uh, where Habakkuk is totally confused with what God's doing and uh, questions God. Like, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you letting the evil people prosper? Why are you going to use evil people to, to punish your own people? And David in Psalm 13, like, God, you're not listening. You're not giving me understanding. Why aren't you answering me? You're supposed to. I'm one of your children. But in both cases, David and Habakkuk chose to put their trust in what they knew to be true about God. What he'd done in the past, what he'd promised to do in the future. In Psalm 13, it ends, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for you've been good to me. And Habakkuk at the very end, one of the most beautiful 
uh, pieces of scripture. Uh, though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights And so we have this common insecurity of doubt when we are uh, beset by the circumstances, the bad circumstances of our life. And yet the psalmist, King David, Habakkuk, show us that there is a way to put that in proper perspective and a way to respond. And that is to trust. To put your trust and who God is, and what he's done, and what he's promised to do for us. Uh, Eugene Peterson, again, quoting him from his uh, book on Psalm 125, uh, feelings are important for many things. They are essential and valuable. They keep me aware of much that's true and real, but they tell me next to nothing about God or my relationship to God. My security comes from who God is, not how I feel. Discipleship is a decision to live by what I know about God, not by what I feel about him or myself or my neighbors. Second uh, area of insecurity is uh, insecurity that's caused by pain and suffering. And when it seems like evil is enjoying the upper hand, I think any one of those three can shake us and can move us and, and cause us to question those words of David Crowder's songs. I was reminded of this yesterday morning. My, my sister-in-law texted us to pray for her cousin's daughter who is, I'm guessing, late 20s, maybe to mid-30s, who's battling life and death with COVID right now. And I just realized bad things happen. Bad things happen to us. And they, they, they happen to, to people that we know. They, they happen to innocent people. And the million dollar question that, that's rattled the faith of so many people is how do we trust in the care and protection of a God that would allow these things to happen? And some have come to a conclusion there's no satisfactory answer to that question and so they walk away from their faith or they, or they, they turn their back on God. I was reminded uh, as I was going through my notes this morning, uh, I sh- shared with you a couple of weeks ago uh, about a friend of ours who died of brain cancer and I've shared his story in many sermons over the years. Um, but there's another aspect to his story. Uh, he was going through, he lived actually longer than he was supposed to and he went back for another checkup. And on that day, I was meeting with another pastor from the church in Ajax that we were going to and we were heading out of Tim Hortons uh, and Andrew's wife, Marilyn, walked into Tim Hortons and she looked like she'd been hit by a bus. And so we stopped and said, Marilyn, you okay? And she told us that she'd just come back from the hospital, from the... um, meeting with the doctor who, who had told them that the cancer was back and that it had grown. There's nothing they could really do. And, and Andrew was, was on his last chapter of his life here on earth. 
And I can remember her sharing this and me not having a word I could say. Because it felt like anything I could say was just a pat answer. That I wasn't even really sure I believed at the time. The insecurity that's caused by the pain and suffering and evil in this world that's multiplied when you can't find an answer. And I know the psalmist was no stranger to pain, suffering, and evil. In the history of the psalmist's people, if we were to list all the horrible things that happened to them, natural disasters, oppression, persecution, opposition, murder, rape, pillaging, sickness, disease. The list goes on and on and on. The psalmist was no stranger to the things that we experience 2,500 plus years later. How was the psalmist's faith and trust in God not obliterated by all the things that his people had experienced? 2,500 years later, how is our faith and our trust in God not obliterated by the circumstances and the bad things that we've seen take place around us and in this world? And the psalmist gives us the answer. This is why his faith was not obliterated. Helps if I'm on the right page. Verse 3 The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. Would that mean to the psalmist? Well, 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 specifically, it meant that the foreign control over their land was not going to last forever. The land belonged to the righteous. And what's that mean for us 2,500 years later? It means this. The pain and suffering and evil will not have the final word. That's not the last chapter. God has written the final chapter. And there's a day coming where, where pain and suffering will be no more. When evil is going to be taken place, uh, taken care of. And that's our hope. That's our hope. When I found myself sulking through the first months of COVID, I had to remind myself that my hope is found in Jesus Christ and what he has done and accomplished for us. That there is a day when pain and suffering and evil and death are going to be no more. And righteousness, righteousness wins. I'm going to give the last point of the message in a bit. I'm going to ask Daniel and Linda if they would come up and and, uh, lead us in a couple of songs, and and then I'm going to conclude the message as an intro uh, into communion. So we're looking at Psalm 125. It's about security. And the psalmist wants us to understand where our security is to be found. But there's some things that that shake us and, and that cause us 
to feel insecure, to, to question whether God really does have a hold on us, to, to, to lack confidence and, and trust in his care and his protection. And, and we looked at two of those insecurities, one of doubt, and, and the antidote to doubt is trust, to, to trust in what we know to be true about God and what he's promised and what he's promised to do, what he's done in the past. The second insecurity was the insecurity that comes with pain and suffering and, and, and when evil seems to be uh, victorious. And, and we saw the anti- antidote to that is understanding that that's not the final word. That we have a hope that, that lies beyond the insecurity and the brokenness and sinfulness of this world. And I just want to leave one last insecurity with you that, that I think is one that, that many of us can struggle with, and that's the insecurity of defection. And what I mean by that is, is that, that we feel that maybe God's left us behind, or, or maybe we've strayed too far away from God ourselves. And I was thinking, when I was, when I was younger, and I would, not that I dated a whole lot of people, but you know, I often would get into a dating relationship and I was consumed at the outset of a dating relationship with how that person truly felt about me to the point I'd do really stupid things like manipulative things or, or you know, ask questions just to try to get them to say that they, that they really did like me, they did like spending time with me. And, and I'd go through this period, I guess, till I got to a point where either I drove them away uh, or uh, I was secure in how they felt about me, which maybe sounds silly, I think there's some of us as Christians and we've never got past that stage with God. And we question, what does God really feel about us? Like, do we ever get to a point where we've sinned one time too many or we've, we've disappointed God? Or do we ever get to a point where God just says, you know, enough. I'm turning my back on that person and walking away. We question why would God want anything to do with a person like me? And the psalmist again reminds us that if you put your trust in God through Jesus, you find yourselves in the internal embrace of God. A preacher commenting on that point, gives us a little illustration. He tells about a time when a, a new believer came in deep distress to see him and, and said, no matter how hard I try, I simply cannot seem to be faithful to my Lord. I think I'm losing my salvation. And this pastor said, do you see this dog here? He's my dog. He's house trained, never makes a mess. He, he's obedient. He is a pure delight to me. Out in the kitchen, I have a son, a baby son. He makes a mess. He throws his food around. He fouls his clothes. At times, he is a total mess. But who's going to inherit my estate? Not my dog. My son is my heir. And this pastor told this young believer, and you are Jesus' heir because it is for you that he died. Our ultimate security is found in the truth that we are Christ, not because of anything we've done, 
but because of his grace. You know, the Jewish pilgrims would sing this song as they made their way to Jerusalem to worship, to be reminded of the Passover, how God delivered them from Egypt, how in that climatic moment, the angel of death passed over the homes that had put the blood of a lamb on the door. Many years later, the psalmist is inviting us to sing this song, reminding us of where our security lies and encouraging us to sing as we come to worship, to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us by giving his life on a cross. We might, we might feel insecure about how God feels with us. We may feel insecure about what our future holds because we allow doubt and insecurities to rule. But as we contemplate communion, I just want you to listen to the words of Paul writing about us to the Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church 
church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You still feel insecure about God, what God thinks about you. If you've put your trust in him, all these things of Ephesians 1 are true. But it wasn't possible if it wasn't for the death of Jesus. Because of our sin, we couldn't have a right relationship with God. And so God demonstrates his love in that he sent his son to take our place, to pay the price for our sin, to die our death, so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we can have a right relationship with God, but so that all these things that I just read from Ephesians 1 are true. That's our hope. That's our security. Our security is found in none other than Jesus himself. I'm going to give thanks for this little communion uh, package that we have that reminds us that, that Jesus shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And the wafer that is to represent the body that Jesus gave for us. And I'm going to pray and just thank him and, and then I'll just ask you to reflect on things for a moment and then as, as you will to take the, the wafer and, and the juice and, and then at an appropriate time Daniel will come up and, and lead us in, in a further song. So let me just pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for this great gift. Father, there's so much in this world that makes us feel insecure. There's so much in this world that makes us question our value and, and how much uh, we're worth and and whether we're loved, whether we're cared for. And yet, this demonstration of the greatest love and care and grace and mercy, when you send Jesus, Lord, gives us hope. It gives us significant value. We can know that we're loved, that you care for us, and, and that you have got a future in store for us. And that's our hope. So God, as we take this, this wafer and this, this juice, may it remind us of the cost. What it cost for us to have all that we have. And Lord, may we be thankful. And Lord, may we uh, be motivated and encouraged to trust you even deeper. So Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.